0: Hey, hey, beer
1: fans! Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. So go buy one. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And on today's episode, well, these are uncertain times, but we're going to bring you some normalcy. We're going to go get some feedback in the way. We're going to go to the pub and talk about the beer news and, well, some of the stuff that's upending the beer news right now. And then we're going to head to the brewery where we're going to talk about some of our latest brewing adventures. Uh, Before we get to the lounge, where we're going to have a very interesting question about what it means to make a local and organic beer from the brewers at Allagash. Local, organic, and delicious, I might add. Indeed. But before we do any of that stuff,
0: here's a message from the people who make this show possible.
1: This episode is brought to you by Craftmeister and BTF four. when you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. This
0: episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, host of HomebrewCon, an annual celebration of homebrewing and the community of homebrewers. This year's event takes place in Nashville, Tennessee, a.k.a. Music City, from June 18th to June 20th. Learn more and register at
1: homebrewcon.org. And by you, our listeners. Go to ExperimentalBrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support.
0: Welcome back. We're going to do some announcements here before we kick into the rest of the show. And the first one is that there was a new episode of The Brew Files that came out recently. huh? Not not
1: quite on schedule. Not on schedule, but close enough. It's out there. It's episode 84, and I sat down with Gluten-Free Breer Brian. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Uh, but Brian Newscomb, who runs both a blog and a podcast all about gluten-free brewing, And all about the changes that have happened recently to make it possible that you can actually make gluten-free beer that you actually want to drink, even if you don't need it to be gluten-free. And so all sorts of new and interesting ingredients out there for gluten-free brewers, including a whole uh, spectrum of things like roasted malts and caramel malts and all that, just made out of millet and sorghum and buckwheat. Ta-da! Wow, that's very cool, man. Uh, you remember when I went up to
0: visit uh, uh, Groundbreaker and James Neumeister? He's using stuff like toasted chestnuts and stuff like that. But man, millet sounds like that could be some real possibilities there.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's really interesting, and it's interesting to see how that world changes. But I also, even if you're not gluten-free, even if you don't need to be gluten-free, I would encourage listeners to go check it out because there are some interesting techniques in there that are all about how you actually go and use some of these alternative grains as well. And then not only that, but don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pushing a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It's an organization called Not One More Vet, as in veterinarian.
0: Turns out the veterinarians have a really, really high suicide rate due to the nature of their work. You know, they're taking care of our furry friends, and uh, sometimes it doesn't go well. So please toss us a few bucks,
1: and we will toss it on to them. Always take care of your vets, and if you go and check my Facebook feed, I talked about it on the last episode, but go check my Facebook feed. You'll see a TED Talk from a young uh, vet where she talks about exactly why this is such a problem. So, now, having said that, it's time for your feedback. feedback. Uh, that's right. It's time for feedback, and we had one piece of feedback coming from Rich Potter, Uh Remember a couple of episodes ago, we talked about uh, how, much, how to tell how much beer is left in a keg? I think uh, it was episode 108. And Well, that's like, easy, Rich, man. You just keep drinking until it's gone and count the number of pints. Yeah, I know. The, the, for me, it's always, oh, hey, this pint is suddenly pouring very, very clear. Damn it. I'm near the end of the keg. That's right. It's the uh, last one. I had that happen the other day. So Rich writes in to says, uh, I've found a cheap solution which seems to be working well for me. In the UK, we have a thing called Kinder Surprise Eggs, a chocolate egg with a plastic pod inside containing a toy. I have some 5mm and medium magnets left over from building a stir plate, so I superglued one of these to the inside of the pod, closed it up, sanitized it, and chucked it in the keg. I then used one of the magnets from our magnetic child locks to attract it to the side of the keg, and then stuck a stir bar to it. Now, as the beer level drops, so does the floating pod, and the stir bar on the outside, so you can instantly see how full the keg is. This does obviously require sight of the keg, so maybe not perfect for a guy with his kegs on the other side of a wall. I was going to try a ball bearing on the outside, but I didn't have one around, and the start bar seems to be working for now. Unfortunately, I've just Googled, and according to Wikipedia, Kinder Surprise are banned in the U.S., and importation can lead to a fine of up to $2,500 per egg. You apparently can't put something non-nutritious inside of an item of confectionery. So you probably need to find another source of a small plastic pod. All in all, the cost was probably a couple of quid or $2,502, including the U.S. import fine, Rich Potter. And Rich is (laughs) right. Uh, Kinder eggs are not legal here in the U.S. And yeah, part of it's the plastic shell inside the chocolate shell. And then also the fact they have toys inside them that have small parts and you can follow along. However, here in the U.S., we do have uh, Kinder Joy, which is all the... Goodness, I'm not really a fan of Kinder. All the goodness of the Kinder eggs, but in a uh, safer package. So yeah, I imagine that you could do something very similar with you know any number of like little plastic, uh, you know, plastic pods that you could find. Um, don't go use a tie pod. And but yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting solution to the problem. I like the idea that it's just kind of automatically updating. It seems to be a lot simpler to me than say scale or pressure plate. You know, but it's not as
0: easy as just. Opening your kegerator door for a couple minutes and waiting for the uh,
1: condensation to show you where the beer is. Listen, young man, I am not paying to refrigerate all of your brewery. <laughs> okay, Mom. <laughs> so thank you, Rich, for the tip. Uh, I like to see how home brewers can do some very creative solutions, and that's a pretty good one. I was going to say that, that tip is nothing if not creative. Yes. All right. Now... Because of how wacky this world is right now, I need a beer. Normally, we'd be going
0: to the Experimental Brewing Pub, but uh, we're doing social distancing. So we're doing the Virtual Experimental Brewing Pub. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family owned business of husband and wife veterans. So when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon High Desert Farm. Their eighth-generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve Mecca Grade. For more information, please visit MeccaGrade.com. We're back, and we are in the virtual experimental brewing pub. We are practicing safe social distancing by staying eight hundred miles apart and, uh, just a, a little a little secret here for those of you who haven't already figured it out we're almost never together when we're having a beer so, this
1: is This is nothing unusual. we've been practicing safe drinking for years now, right. Oh, man, you know, all this stuff about social distancing. I'm listening to this and I'm going, I've got this, fam. I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> You're just antisocial. <laughs> I'm not antisocial. I'm just anti talking to people. Okay. Uh,
0: well, you know what? And for me, I'm not finding this especially onerous because I often go a week or two without going into town or seeing anybody besides Paula. So this is just kind of like normal life, except that. When I do go into town to a store, I start sweating profusely.
1: I feel sorry for Paula. (laughs) Yeah, man, me too. So, uh, what are you virtually drinking today? Well, I'm drinking the only beer I could think of that was the most appropriate beer for this time. I am drinking a La Fin du Monde by Unibrew, which is their kind of spiced triple, comes in around 9%, and of course the name means the end of the world. And it's always been one of my favorite beers. It's one of the first sort of really belgian beers I think I ever had. Uh, I first had it in like 1995 when I went to Montreal on a trip with a bunch of my college buddies because we lived in Boston and still couldn't drink legally there. But we ended up in this little tiny corner uh, beer store. And there on the refrigerated shelves was this beer. And I, I know just enough French to know that that was a badass name. And I went and I grabbed it and... I really enjoyed it, and that sort of kicked me down the line of going and exploring a lot of other things. Yeah, you know
0: that's that's one that I've discussed before too in the pub because I just absolutely adore that beer. It's a a great blend of the the Belgian phenols and the spices and the malts. Uh, really, really a good one. And if yeah. I could get out and buy beer, I'd probably go get one too.
1: Yeah, and then, well, I didn't I didn't buy it. I had it delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit far for that. Yeah. Thank you, Drizzly. Um, but yeah, I just figured that was a very appropriate beer. And for you, sir? Um, we were forced to miss the latest Ale Song
0: quarterly release uh, about a week or so ago due to the weirdness in the world. So we broke into our Ale Song stash and pulled out a beer that they call Syrah Du Firm. It is a spontaneous sour ale aged in oak barrels with Syrah grapes. It comes in, oh, just a hair over 8%. It is a delicious beer, and it's a beautiful beer. The color in this is kind of this light ruby. Uh, it's, you know, just a, a beautiful beer. There is a just a very, very slight hint of sweetness from the grapes that perfectly balances the tartness from the spontaneous fermentation. Uh, a lot of times, spontaneous beers are too tart for me. You know, I, I just don't... Uh, appreciate them because i can't get anything but the tartness this one is perfectly balanced and the really good news about looking through the fridge to find this was i discovered that we've got another bottle of it too
1: i uh, see that's always nice um i still have one of my french 75s hanging out in the in the cellar
0: oh yeah, man I'd probably break into that before too long I don't have any French 75 left, but I've got a couple old Tom uh, and Tonic beers left, so it's almost the same, but I I think that the French 75 still has
1: those beat. It's kind of hard to talk about the beer world right now and the news in the beer world without talking about the whole mess that is the coronavirus and COVID-19, and exactly how it's impacting all of us and all of the people that we depend upon as brewers and homebrewers. So couple of things out there, one, we do hope that everybody is you know following the CDC guidelines and being safe. Uh, you know both Denny and I have underlying conditions that make us uh, very wary about all of this I'm paranoid and hypochondriac it's what I said to Lou Bryson the other day there you go and but at the same time, we need to be out there helping support our friends and neighbors and all the small businesses around this. A lot of people are going to be hurting for a while, so here's what we can uh, here's what we're encouraging people to do. There are gift certificates that you can buy for every brewery, or almost every brewery. Uh, Go check their websites, go call them up, go check their social media, go throw a couple bucks that you'd spend at the bar, you know, over the tap room to them right now while they're hurting. You know, just get a little bit of that that money in there. A lot of breweries, and even now, bars, are doing to-go. So, you can actually roll up and call them and say, hey, I'd like a four-pack of this and a four-pack of that, and congratulations, they'll bring it out to you. And I think the one that's amusing me is even here in California where they're notoriously uh, tight-fisted and about any sort of alcohol liberalization. They're allowing restaurants to sell cocktails to go as long as food's being sold as well. Cool. And, And a lot of brew shops
0: now are taking orders either online or over the phone, and you can pull up and
1: they'll run stuff out to your car, so you don't even need to get out of your car. Yeah, so by all means, go and support your local brew shop. Go do whatever it is you need. I mean, and hey, look, we're all going to be sheltering in place for a little while, so you might as well have some supplies on hand to go make that delicious beer. So go get those things uh, locally. Take the load off of Amazon and those guys because there are other things they're having to deliver. Um, and to me, I think the big question is how many breweries are going to survive this? I mean, we're at, you know, what, over 7,000 breweries, and a number of these are small little mom-and-pop places that depend upon their tap rooms for – you know, actually staying open. Right, so, and a lot, we, of, a lot of them were on real shaky ground before this even happened. Right, so it will be interesting to see. So if you can, if you're in a position to, you know, and you're not like Denny and I who are afraid that we're going to die if somebody coughs on us, um, go give some support. And if you want to see just how dicey the picture is, we really recommend uh, Jeff Allworth over at Birvana Blog. He put up a really great article with... Four different reactions from people in the Portland area about what's happening to their establishments, you know, with regards to all this and what their history and timeline was this. And, of course, my favorite is that they has Van Havik in there from uh, Gigantic. And if you remember, Van and I had a long tangent that happened in our episode uh, talking about the bubonic plague and the Black Death. So Van <laughs> was all over this. <laughs> Yeah, and all those breweries aren't uh, exclusively
0: from the Portland area because one of the people he talks to is Matt Van Wyck from Alesong down here.
1: I'm sorry. That's still Portland area to me. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of like my comments about uh, you
1: know, where the hell is San Diego. Huh? Exactly. So it is a very good read. It's also very interesting to see. Like Van, for instance, he goes in the span of... Well, I think five days from talking about, hey, great, we've got the second taproom location all ready to open. We've got everything set. We're going to be staffed, blah, 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 to it's now shut down. And that project is currently halted. So, um, it was kind of interesting to watch what happens there. Uh, one other uh, little piece of advice we've seen a lot of people out there asking, hey, can Star Sand, you know, kill, uh, kill COVID 19? Uh, a lot of debate about it. The, uh, the blunt answer is, no, don't depend upon it. Uh, there are some people out there who will say the acidification will do its job. But it's not what Star Sand is designed for. Uh, it is not what you should be using to combat anything. Soap and water works best. Uh, alcohol solutions above 60% also work. Um, but then the other one that we want to put out there is our sponsor, well, National Chemical, who is the parent company of our sponsor, Craftmeister has just released a home scaled size version of their QA sanitizer and that's quats and quats is a viricide so they are selling limited supplies and they're limiting the number of people who the number that you can buy at any one time but for 10 bucks they're selling a jug of this stuff that will make 21 gallons of viricide and it is super effective it is what is used all around the the restaurant industry to to clean stuff and sanitize stuff so if you are really concerned and you really want to have a product on hand that will do this job go get some of this uh, qa they're shipping it out from minnesota and it's coming rapidly i ordered it and it was here a couple days later so go and uh, go and get some of that stuff if you want they do uh, some people have also said that iota four potentially has uses but it's kind of off book so again use the right stuff but for the most part just remember Wash your damn hands. The quaternary ammonia QA has actually been uh,
0: approved and certified by the CDC to be useful against uh, coronavirus. So that's what we'd recommend. Uh, Like Drew said, maybe StarSand works. Maybe IOTA-4 works. This stuff we know works. So
1: uh, if you're concerned, that's what we recommend getting. And now, of course, because it's not just all of our own news... There is news from the AHA as well. So you may have heard that the first round's been canceled of the NHC. They're trying to figure out what's going to happen. They're going to refund people's money, try and figure out what they can do to salvage the competition for this year. But I think for more details on that, we should go to Gary.
0: Right, we're going to talk to the AHA director, Gary Glass, about uh, what you can do to support the industry these days and uh, about what uh, the AHA is doing. So here's Gary. Hi, Gary. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's happy to be with
0: you. Because <laughs> you weren't really doing anything else, right? <laughs>
1: Twiddling my thumb. <laughs> It's a real quiet time out there. I, I know the brewers, it's just an easy time. <laughs> yeah, I wish. So
0: as we all know, things are getting shut down. It's getting weird. But a lot of people want to like keep brewing and supporting uh, the, the breweries that uh, – that are having such a difficult time these days. Now that they don't really have a way to connect with their uh, their customers very easily. So, what are some things people can do, man?
2: Uh, well, in terms of supporting their their local brewery, uh, you know, I know the, the the breweries that are that are going to be most uh, severely hit by this are your tap room breweries, those, those small breweries that aren't aren't packaging. Uh, because they they may have a few taps around town, but those taps are not being used anymore. Because you got a restaurant or a bar that's, that's serving your beer, they're not ordering any beer, and most of those tap rooms are now shut down. So they just got they're just sitting on their beer unless they find a way to package it. Um, so and a lot of them are doing that through you know growler sales, growler sales if they can uh, bottle or can. You know, actually, just uh, last week I, I went into my. Homebrew supply shop, and, and ran into one of the owners of one of the, the local breweries uh, where I live, and uh, he was he was buying bottle caps. And he bought bought some bottles from from Left Hand. I live in Longmont, so Left Hand's one of our local breweries. He bought some bottles and and was getting bottle caps from the homebrew supply shop, so he could he could take beer from kegs and put it into into six packs that he could then sell to his customers. We bought a we bought a keg from him for a lot of those breweries it, with their beers tied tied up in kegs like that's going to be a that that could be a savior for them if you're if you're able if you got a kegerator and you can buy a keg from from your local taproom brewery uh, that that could really help them out um, and otherwise you might might even be able to bring in a corny keg and they might be able to fill it for you
0: yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering too. You know, if you were able to drop one off and go back the next day and pick it up and spray it down with disinfectant before you took it home, uh, maybe yeah. somebody'd be into doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean, something else that you that you can do uh, is is buy gift cards. You know, if you're if you're if your barista do gift cards or you know, or merchandise, uh, but but with the gift cards, that's that's you're basically giving your your local brewery a loan, uh, and. They can fulfill it when uh, when they they have the ability to, but it gives them some some cash flow, so they can be pay, paying employees and uh, any other expenses that they might have.
1: I've been talking up gift cards as well because it's not just breweries that are going to be hurting; it's also our homebrew shops. We, I mean, we know that retail has been down for a little bit. This is just going to make it worse.
2: Right. It, it, it very well could, uh, although. I think that this will also spike an interest in in home brewing. Uh, if people are stuck at home. Uh, it's a it's a good opportunity for for people to be doing more brewing than, than maybe they were before. Uh, so the, the trick is how do you how do you support a, a homebrew supply shop that that can't have customers coming in the door? So I know like the, a couple of the local shops in my area have, have started taking orders either over the phone or online. And you can go and pick up. You know they'll they'll put all all the all your your whole order together and then hand it to you out, out the door. Uh, and that way, they don't have people coming into the store and uh, potentially exposing their their employees. Uh, but that, if you've got a homebrew supply shop and they're they're doing something like that, you know now's the time to to, to order some ingredients. To uh, if there's a piece of equipment that you've been thinking about for a long time. Buy that piece of equipment from
0: your local store and and
2: help them out because it's it's going to be rough getting through this.
0: You know, and that's a that's a really good point. Uh, Homebrewers are always looking for bargains, and a lot of times, you know, uh, we're cruising the internet trying to find the cheapest price on something. Uh, This might be the time to start thinking in terms of somebody else and uh, maybe throwing them a few bucks.
2: Yeah, definitely. Those 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 stores do so much to serve our communities, Uh, and if. You know, if we're not supporting them, they're going to go away.
3: And
2: so the, you, know, you could be losing a, a major resource by by undercutting your local homebrew shop. Uh, I mean, of course, if you if you can't get stuff from your homebrew shop, I, I don't have any problems with, with shopping online. But right. I'd also say, you know, if you know, avoid shopping on Amazon, and I mean that's that is the ultimate undercut. And I've heard it from so many homebrew supply shops that to say, you know i'm I'm getting killed by my customers going to going to Amazon. They're not blaming the, the big online retailers it's it's Amazon that they're seeing their customers go to
1: because well, yeah, i mean it's so easy to go to amazon i mean most people are going there already and it's just like, oh hey, look, I can do that too right exactly it it, it
2: can become a become a habit, and you know for the most part you're not like a lot of those things that you're buying aren't stuff that you necessarily can can get at the, the local store or the local store some mega business but that's not the case with your homebrew supply shop. They're, they're absolutely dependent on local people buying from them.
0: And, of course, right at the moment, Amazon is so busy doing other things that uh, you might not be able to get what you want from them anyway. So uh, another great reason to buy from your
1: local shop. Good point. And now, not only is it homebrew shops, I mean, I mean, I know with everybody working at home, yeah, hopefully more people will be brewing. But we do have the small problem of social distancing now means uh, I've got to drink my own beer. <laughs> yeah, well, I I tell you, man, and having
0: drank your beer, I can see why that would be a problem for you. Yeah, yeah, Ouch.
1: you enjoy my beer.
2: <laughs> <so> shut
3: <it>. up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, maybe now's the time to be to be bringing the by, brewing uh, brewing loggers and your your strong ales that, are, that you need to age and
1: well that- i I have in the past week i've done two batches of beer, and the last time I did two batches of beer in a week um was years ago <laughs> so it, it's it's good and yeah i'm I'm like stock I'm like running between doing a mix of like things I can drink now versus things that i'm gonna drink in a little while and hopefully when all this is over, I can share with everybody and it'll be in good shape but one one of the questions I know that you guys have to be getting hit by from a lot of people is. Hey, so what do we do as a club?
2: Yeah, uh, obviously the, the uh, meeting as a club uh, is uh, is pretty much out of the question. So I, I know I've seen something come in just today about a, a club doing a virtual meeting. So if you if you can use uh, something like a you know maybe WebEx or um, Zoom or you know I, I don't know I'm not. Certainly not an expert on all of those kinds of things, but uh, there's, there's plenty of online resources so that you uh, can get together. You know, actually, we, we, the Brewers Association, which is just, uh, the, the AHA's parent organization, we use WebEx, and uh, we actually did, last, uh, last week was our first week of everybody working from home. Uh, we did a, uh, uh, a Thirsty Thursday at 4.30 and had, had everybody on the screen, like, uh, Brady Bunch style, I I I thought at first like this is never gonna work and it totally did work and it was fantastic to be able to interact with my colleagues in a in a social situation as opposed to just another video meeting.
0: Yeah, you know, our uh, our club usually does uh Friday happy hours at some place in town and we've been doing those with Google Hangouts and that seems to work really well for everybody.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean so I know for the club, and uh, we're talking a little bit about this later. But for my club, I'm doing so. My title in the Falcons is the Grand Hydrometer. One
2: of my favorite things <laughs> that's, that's that's a that's a good title. Do you break a lot?
0: <laughs> oh, no, but he's highly inaccurate. No. You Thank you.
2: Um, is there any any homebrew measuring device that's,
1: that's actually
0: accurate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just your palate, man.
1: You know, I, I, I'm thinking of updating it. I'm now going to become the you know, grand digital refractometer. Um, but so since my job is actually is the beer education officer, which is literally what that title is. Um, I'm putting together a whole water talk. I normally can't do a full seminar like what we do at the uh, homebrew con um, because that takes up too much time and people want to drink beer. So, but now we're going to have a virtual meeting and I'm going to do probably a full 60 to 90 minutes on water and everything I know and things I don't know.
0: Well, everything um, you know, that will only take 10 minutes,
1: uh-huh. but, um, I, I would highly encourage clubs to actually take this as a moment when you can, when you can actually do some more educational stuff, when you can li- really lean into that. Um, and, and just trying to think of other ideas out there as well. Cause of course m- my ideas always turn to, how can I talk more? <laughs> Yeah.
2: Well, another thing that, that clubs could do is uh we have um uh, all the the Con recordings on humbersassociation.org. You could pick a topic and have have people view the view one of the the recordings and then have that be a, a a topic of discussion.
0: Oh, that's a really good idea.
1: Yeah, and I've seen other people doing the virtual happy hour idea um and I think I've also seen people doing Hey, let's make this into a brewer's Q and A. If you have any questions, bring them to the chat room or bring them to the the virtual hangout, and we'll get the club to answer your questions. I right. Again, it's still missing the it's still missing that fun aspect of having other people's beers, but I guess you'll have to drink your own too.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, all the more encouragement to to brew your own beers and be supporting your local homebrew shop, so you can have have something to talk about with your uh, virtual club meeting.
0: Yeah, really, man. Uh, I, I'm lucky in that I was stocked up on grain when this all happened. I've actually gotten in three batches in the last three weeks, and I cannot remember the last time I was able to do that.
2: Nice. Yeah, I mean, we were, my my wife and I have been brewing quite a bit more frequently, and uh, Erin works for, for Lolleman, so we just tried out the uh, the new Voss strain, so sort of brewed, brewed a Belgian blonde recipe, and pitched the boss at 88 degrees and it's fermenting within two hours <laughs> and hey, it's already winding down And that was on saturday <laughs> wow.
0: wow that's pretty amazing <laughs> crazy. i don't know if it's gonna taste any good but <laughs> hey you, you never know the,
1: the, these you never know with these new uh quake strains that they are uh they're very interesting sometimes they give you flavors that are really great and sometimes they not so much but be good to see. So you've done a Belgian blonde. i just did a pale ale. Denny, you just did your, your wee shrooming. Well, yeah, I, I did it the wee is, shrooming. brewing time.
0: And, and a, I did a pale ale also. And then I did an alt beer to get the yeast ready for the wee shroomy. So, uh. You know, it's like my fermenters have been hopping for a change. And it's like, you know, because because I stopped working a number of years ago that, you know, it's not so much working from home. It's the fact that the rest of the world has stopped. So I don't have anything else to deal with.
1: So uh, since we're still, you know, all in quarantine or stay at home, shelter at home, whatever you want to call it, social distancing. uh, What other impacts has this had on the AHA uh, that people are going to care about?
2: Uh, well, we we just uh, last week had to uh, call uh, the the national homebrew competition. We had we already postponed it indefinitely, but then just looking forward at, at opportunities for for actually completing the judging, and we're talking about you know like ten thousand entries. Um, there's just no way we would be able to do this in a you know way that was going to work for for all 13 judge centers and be fair to the beers and you know who knows when we would actually get around to being able to do that judging uh what condition the beers would be in and most of the most of the the beers were being stored in breweries that no longer can allow people to come into their businesses so uh just a really awful situation so it's you know we one of the saddest moments of, uh, of my career with the AHA was having to make that decision
0: yeah man i can imagine but what could you do there there was no other choice really
2: now we we looked at many options and 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 you know i, I i'm so inspired by the by the site directors that we work with at these 13 different judge centers because they were they were trying to come up with any kind of possible ideas they they could have and you know, so some of them actually started uh, started judging them remotely at, uh, at judges' homes, but but even that, like you know, in, in California, we've got two judge centers. And we're, now you can't even drive to go to somebody's house to drop off a case of beer and have another judge come visit your home and, and judge. Like, no, we just we can't be doing that, and so you know, it's just a very unfortunate situation. However, we we are hoping that we can, um, you know, assuming that we are we are able to go forward with HomebrewCon, We're still looking at options for that. We have not canceled that, uh, but obviously, with it being in June, um, up in the air whether we can do it in June or not. Uh, but you know, assuming that we we are able to to host HumberCon, uh this year, uh, we're hoping that we can do a single round competition uh, at HomebrewCon. and so. We'd probably make that available to – we'd make it exclusively available to the people who had entries in the first round, um, probably limited to one one entry per entrant, um, and and maybe have some uh, – we'll, we're having to look at what, what we can realistically judge, uh, but also probably doing more of what we do for Great American Beer Festival with an abbreviated score sheet to allow us to get through more entries. But at least we would be able to to have a competition – this year, if uh, if we're able to pull that off,
0: well, man, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. Uh, it'd be great, yeah, definitely, to, if if both that and and the conference could go forward in some fashion. But uh, I, I know it's a tough decision to
3: make, but you got to do the right thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and it, it absolutely has a has a very significant financial impact for us as well.
3: Uh, you know, so
2: you know, both the the conference and competition are. Are pretty big revenue generators for us, and so having to to refund all those entries after incurring a lot of the first round expenses already was tough so uh but it was it was the decision that had to be made
0: well speaking so, uh, speaking for the governing committee, we'll give up our salaries <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know uh that's no big uh, sacrifice
1: yeah. zero out of uh, zero is zero
0: that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll
2: check back in uh, in, a, in a week or two and see see where things are going. That's great. Uh, man. But, you know, you know, I'm still still hopeful for for the future. I, I'm looking forward to doing doing probably more brewing than I've done in in years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know what? Uh, if you can make a bright side out of all this, you got to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And you know, I, with with. with uh, I, as much as a, I, I hate to say this, but, uh, you know, if, if there is an economic downturn, and it sure looks like there is, um, historically speaking, that has been – has gone well for, for homebrewing and homebrew supply shops, which, you know, tend to do better when uh, when we have more unemployment. Right. Yeah. Well, no. Not, not a great thing to, to look forward to, but for if I were a Humber shop owner, I might be thinking that uh, things might be uh, might be turning around soon.
0: Yep. Well, we'll just kind of have to see. And like I said, hope for the best. Okay, man. Well, listen, you guys stay safe. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you in a week or two when maybe you guys have had a chance to uh, make some decisions about the conference.
2: Okay. Sounds good, Danny.
0: All right, man. Thanks a bunch, Gary. Oh, Thanks, thank Gary. you. Yeah, great
1: to talk to you, Drew. So here's the big upshot of all this news, you know, with all the stuff that the HA is having to do, with the stuff that breweries are having to do and homebrew shops are having to do, and quite frankly, all of us are having to do. What is it there for you to do as a homebrewer? And I think the answer is simple. Go and brew something. I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, I'm I've got one thing in the tanks right now that I'm going to have on tap to... to serve as a celebratory beer when all this is done. So go make something big. Go make something small so you can have it immediately to drink. Just be prepared and relax and enjoy your your hobby. You know, and I've got
0: uh, a wee shroomy fermenting right now. Uh, Mushrooms haven't gone in yet, but I needed a gravity reading the other day. So I took a, a little taste of that beer after I got my gravity reading. And all I can say is I think that beer is going to fulfill
1: your requirements. There you go. And by the way, speaking of the wee shroomy, don't forget that you can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch an edited version of Denny's Brew Day uh, and see exactly how he went about making the wee shroomy. Right, my now, bre- my Brew Day in seven and a half minutes. Yeah, I, I like the fact that we had people complaining that uh, this was heavily edited. You know, we're homebrewers; we want to see the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Lord help us, people. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm sure that you want to sit there and see watch my kettle boil for an hour.
1: Uh no well, you, you don't want to see that, you don't want to see me, just take what you get. Well, but to that point, one of the things that a bunch of people are doing is now that we are in the age of social distancing, what can people do to, you know, continue being you know good, cheerful, you know, sociable people? And what we're seeing is that there are people who are doing remote cheers. So like remote happy hours, everybody get into Google Hangouts or get into zoom or get into your favorite social conferencing software that you have. And they're sitting down and having beers and talking with each other that way. I think that's awesome. I know a couple of homebrew clubs are set up remote meetings, including mine, the Malto's Falcons. So on April 5th, I'm actually going to be giving a water class to the club, and this is the kind of thing I can't normally do because it would take too much time out of the meeting when you know we've got other things that we have to do. But since everything is kind of on shutdown right now, I can talk for an hour and a half about water and teach people what I know and what I think I know. So I'm going to post details on this because don't be surprised if it doesn't become an episode of the show. Don't be surprised also uh, if I hand out the link for people to come check it out as well oh boy I'd, I'd love to do that no i don't want to disrupt your meeting oh you can come and heckle me you know i don't care yeah but everybody else will and I, I, there's those are the ones i'm thinking about that's very noble of you but now i think that's enough news remember folks stay positive we're going to get through this all together and stay safe while you're staying positive. But now we're
0: going to head over to the brewery and we're going to talk about what we've been brewing lately. So stick around. We're going to be right back. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family farms to the world's finest brewers. With their new online store, YCH products are now available wherever brewers choose to shop. Browse the aisles of your local homebrew store or buy direct from YCH at shop.yakimachief.com. Also, experience the new YCH Mobile Solutions app, A free, sustainable alternative to the popular Hop Variety Handbook with information on more than 120 hop varieties to help you make the best beer possible. Available now in the Apple Store or at Google Play. Welcome to the brewery. We have been actually finding time to brew recently. Uh, it's kind of amazing when you don't have a, a book to work on and you only have a column that you're perpetually late on. So the editor expects that So we've been taking yeah, every some,
1: editor of mine knows I'm going to be late on everything. Yeah, it's that's right. Man. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like in your um, resume, right? Yep. Always counting me to be about a week late. Right. So I guess I'll go first. Uh, I mentioned uh, maybe a couple episodes back that I was making an alt beer to build up the yeast for my Wee Shroomy. Uh, normally, when I make an alt, I ferment with Y Yeast 1007 or German Ale Yeast, but I needed to have the Scottish Ale Yeast 1728 for the Wee Shroomy, so I figured, what the heck? That stuff is clean, it uh, ferments at low temperatures, I'll use that to make an alt. And, oh, boy, does it make a good alt. Uh, Just real quick, I went with uh, six pounds of Mechagrade Metolius malt. That's their Munich-style malt. Six pounds of the Great Western Idaho Pills malt tossed in maybe a tablespoon or so of cinnamar for color. Uh, I went with an ounce of Mount Hood pellets, first where it hopped, another ounce and a quarter of Mount Hood at 60 minutes, and about three quarters of an ounce uh, at five minutes. did my usual one-quart shaken, not stirred starter for the uh, 1728, and uh, I fermented the beer at uh, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like way below what they tell you uh, that yeast will ferment at. But I do that a lot with a lot of different yeasts, And so remember, be guided by your experience, because what somebody else tells you may not necessarily be the case. Uh, So. Yeah, I've been I've been drinking now let me see I brewed this on February 20th so it's been like a, about a month as of today this beer has cleared up nicely it's crisp it's bitter it has a wonderful malt flavor from the Metolius in it I I'm just thrilled to death that it turned out as well as it did for basically
1: a 5 gallon yeast starter you know that was actually one of those things that led me to a realization about that whole brewing on the ones and simplification thing was because I always used to make these big grandiose beers and I would brew something simple to create the yeast starter for it, right? Just like what you just did there. And the thing that tripped my brain when I and finally put me down that path towards simplicity was realizing that I usually liked those starter beers more than I liked the big crazy beers I was making. (laughs) Well, I have to admit it's a lot easier to drink a 5.5% beer than a 9.5% beer. Well, it's not even that. I actually enjoyed the flavor more, I think. So, inter- interesting to see that, that you're also liking that uh, Alt beer. And, I mean, Alt can be a very clean and crisp and nice, simple style that feels very rich, though. So, it's uh, always a good thing to do. Yeah. And and, and, and you've got the Wee Shroomy and the Fermenters now. How long till the mushrooms go in?
0: Uh I would say, bas I mean, it's it's basically at final gravity already uh, after about a week. So I've been cold crashing it the last couple of days. Uh, did a, a, a yeast dump today. So I would say as soon as it looks like it's pretty well clarified, it will be coming out of there and going into one of my Genesis fermenters with uh, five pounds of chanterelles in it. So. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely by the
1: end of this coming week, maybe even
0: as soon as two or three more days.
1: Well, and we did have a listener question come in, and it's not in the Q and A, but I did want to make sure that we got it addressed here because I think some listeners may have walked away confused. Just to clarify, the treatment of the mushrooms is just what washed, chopped, and frozen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't even really wash them very much. I kind of just uh, brush off most of the dirt. Most of the dirt. As much dirt as I can possibly get off of them. I I don't like to get them wet because they absorb the water too easily. So I try and get the water off of them. I chop them up. I vacuum seal them. I freeze them. And then when you thaw them out uh, between the chopping, the vacuum sealing, and the freezing, the cell walls and the mushrooms have really broken down, and you get a lot of flavor out of them.
1: There you go. Always always a good thing to do, yeah. I like I like doing that freezing of any sort of fresh vegetables and fruits in order to, in order to bust things. Yeah, it works yeah, totally. really, really well. Yeah, it's a great advantage to us having lousy freezers. So um, what, what have you been brewing? Well, so I remember I told people I was going to be doing a Belgian Golden Strong. It took me a uh, little bit of time to finish uh, finish what I was doing in order to get that moving. And so I did. I made a version of my uh, blank spaces, but I had to make substitutions because reasons. And so... Like, for instance, I realized the Blank Spaces recipe I was using, the original version called for two pounds of sugar. Well, given the, the uncertainty of me being able to get back to the grocery store right now, I didn't want to blow half of my supply of house sugar in, in the beer. So I went digging around, and I found some – well, I found some things that I've said I I never saw the point of using. I still don't really see the point of using except for during the pandemic, and that is uh, some of the clear candy syrup yeah, you know what man? I just found several packages of that myself. Yeah. And it turns out it worked uh, worked fine, worked a, like a charm and a pinch and allowed me to save the table sugar for other purposes. Um and then also all the usual things that you have to do some hop substitutions. And the other one that drove me nuts is I I don't know how this happened. I don't have any uh caramel pills in my brewer- uh, brewery. And uh, Caramel Pills, it's a Belgian crystal malt, it's a C8, it's not Carapills, because um, I actually have some Carapills. But Caramel Pills is a real light-colored crystal that I actually really like because it adds a subtle amount of body and a subtle amount of richness without, you know, sort of distracting from the Pilsner character that you want. So that was interesting, so I had to make a substitution there, so I went for Caribbean, so this is going to be a more orangey version of my Golden Spaces. Boy, you know, I, n- I never would have even considered putting something like that in. Uh, mine is pretty much the same as my triple, and the only real difference is the yeast. Oh, I know. I know. This this was uh, – I, I always liked just that little that little extra touch. Um, so is this going to be spot on to what I normally think of as a Belgian strong golden? Or like in my case, my Belgian strong golden? No. But it's still going to be Belgian. It's going to be golden. And it's going to be strong. Um. And just to keep playing around with uh, no-chill, I no-chilled this into the cube, and y'all will remember if you listen to the Brew Files episode a couple weeks back, when i have been doing no-chill, I'd been doing the fermentation in the cube. Well, I brewed a Belgian Blonde a couple, uh well, about a month and a half ago now, to generate the yeast cake for this, and that I did in my Grandfather conical. And so obviously I was going to ferment it in the grandfather conical and I had transferred the beer out and took the now chilled cube and poured it through a funnel into the, into the conical. And that bad boy was fermenting relatively quickly. How quickly? Well, I can't tell you why can't I tell you? Because when I put the airlock in, I forgot to put the dancing hat in. <laughs> so, For the first eight hours or so, it was sitting in the fermenter. It was sitting in the fermenter with an airlock with a bunch of star sand in the airlock and then the cap over the top of it. So I'm not particularly worried about the sanitation. No. I'm just kind of annoyed.
0: (laughs) Well, you know uh, what? I mean, it's amazing what happens when you put a a beer on the slurry from a a previous beer. Uh, I'm not the kind of guy who stresses much about uh, lag time. Uh basically, I, my experience is that as long as it gets going in under 72 hours, probably it's going to be fine. But when I put that uh, wee shroomy on the yeast cake from the alt, I think that I had fermentation in, going in two or three hours. And by the next morning, it, there was just a continuous stream of CO2 coming out of the fermenter.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeast cakes work like a charm.
0: Yeah, you know, and, I, and
1: it, I, in most cases, too, I would not use a full
0: slurry from a previous batch. But when I've got a 1095 beer, I need all the help I can get.
1: Yeah, always. And, yeah, and I think this one came in at uh, 1075. So it's still you know, up there and nice, uh, nice to you know, see that going. Uh, I expect that will be done in about two weeks. And right. then I'll have that sitting by. And that beer was always designed. The reason why it's called Blank Space is it was designed to have other flavors added to it. Mm-hmm. So I may I may split it off into a couple different kegs and make some different versions, you know, like add some ginger into one, you know, add you know pomegranate, know. pomegranate. That's what I'm I'm lobbying for. Well, yeah, but I don't have any pomegranates. So <laughs> you don't have a pomegranate tree in your backyard along with everything else. No, I've got a persimmon and two avocados and a lime and a lemon and an orange. Okay, well, in that case, I guess we'll give you a pass on the pomegranate. Yeah. Uh, and of course. Given that I want to make sure I have some beer on hand before too long, uh, I'm actually going, after we're done recording here today, I'm going to go back out to the brewery and I'm going to make myself a nice lightweight pale ale, and it's going to be mostly the Skagit uh, Valley uh, uh, homebrew select or micro homebrew select malt with uh, a little bit of brew malt in it, and then I'm going to root around and see what hops I have that can make something fun, because uh, I I just about finished with that uh, coming in hot, the, the second version and it's been really tasty. So I need something new. You know, and done I, quick. Did, I just did something almost exactly
0: the same. I made a pale ale using the Skagit Micro uh, malt. Uh, I tossed in a pound and a half of rye middlings that Phil Jensen gave me. We've had Phil on the show before. Uh, rye middlings, in case you aren't aware, and I wasn't before Phil turned me on to them, it's. Uh, kind of what's left in terms of the bran and germ after you mill rye into flour. And it looks a lot like flour itself. Uh, I put a pound and a half of that in, and then digging around in my hop freezer, I found some New Zealand hops that uh, the guys from New Zealand brought over when they were here about a year and a half ago, but I'd managed to get them sealed up really well, and they still smelled beautiful. So there's uh, Motueka, Rewaka, and whatever the other big New Zealand hop is that everybody uses. So, you know, kind of all the same. Now, I bet you'd never guess which yeast I used. Yeah, No, I don't have to guess. I know what yeast used.
1: Everybody knows what yeast used.
0: <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, the idea for that, too, is I'll be able to take uh, some of the slurry from that and make something else. I'm reasonably well stocked on yeast, but I'm going to be making sure to reuse as much as possible these days to uh, limit the amount that I have to go out and
1: source. There you go. Well, I think that's a pretty good set of brewing adventures. What are you guys brewing in this uh, pandemic time? I know a lot, I see a lot of people online saying, Hey, I've got all this time because I'm working in remote or, you know, my job is shut down for a little while. Um, I wish I've, unfortunately I work for something that's considered critical infrastructure, uh, not essential, critical. And I've been more busy recently than I've been in a while. So what are you brewing? Please let me know so I can, I can think on it. Yeah. V- vicarious brewing for Drew. <laughs> All right. And now, as I said, I've been busy, so I need to lounge. Okie dokie. We are going to head over to the lounge and talk to Patrick
0: Chavanel, the R&D and technical brewer at Allagash Brewing in Portland, Maine. And it's a it's a great interview. And when we get done talking to Patrick, we're actually going to be tasting some beer he sent us. So stick around and you guys can have a beer vicariously through us. Are you having trouble finding enough time to homebrew and give attention to the other important things in your life? Is your newest Brewed IPA experiment coming at the expense of other obligations? Don't neglect partner or pet. Brew with the Genesis Fermenter. Learn why at GenesisFermenter.com and find them wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. Y-East is redefining wintry mix this quarter, so we invite you to toast these new, exclusive releases as we head into the new year. An original from our early days, 1087 Y-East Bohemian Ale Blend is being released for the first time ever to homebrewers. Look forward to the qualities of this versatile blend in your next British or American-style ales. 1882 Thames Valley Ale 2 returns for its crisp, dry, and malty profile and the ability to produce bright bitters and dark ale styles. And if you're seeking a cold-savvy yeast for winter brewing, 2105 Rocky Mountain Lager is ideal for North American and light lagers. These y yeast Originals are released now through the end of March and are available for a limited time at your local homebrew shop. Find out more at whyeastlab.com. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer 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 beer. beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 Today in the lounge, we have Patrick Chavanel with us. He's the R&D brewer for Allagash. How are you doing today, Patrick?
3: I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, considering the state of the world, I'm in pretty good shape.
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stay positive, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. So today we're going to be talking uh, to Patrick about what he does as the R&D brewer, uh, what Allagash is all about, and uh, especially about this beer uh, Cross Path, which I guess is your first organic beer, is that correct?
3: Yeah, it's our first uh, organic beer. I mean, we've been using some organic, products and, uh, in a couple of our beers, um, fairly recently or the last couple of years, uh, we, white beer has organic oats and this other beer that we make river trip, uh, it's uh, like a hoppy Belgian pale, um, that also has some organic oats too, but yeah, this is our first kind of delve into the, uh, organic world, <laughs> right? We learned a lot.
0: Yeah, man, uh, isn't that amazing? How you uh, you always learn so much the first time you try something.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's not just uh, about the ingredients, you know. It's we we had to get uh, a lot of certification in terms of uh, our process, uh, which was new to us, so it was it was a challenge, but it was exciting. It was right. great.
1: So just to just start off. Uh, you know, can you tell us you know about yourself and also how you got into good beer?
3: Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so I was going to college at the University of New Hampshire. I uh, never really liked beer in college up until towards the end uh, where I realized that there's this brewery down the road, Red Hook uh, Brewing Company, um, out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and they had free tours every Friday. And this dude, Byron, who used to lead their whole tour program I uh, did this free tour and you got free beers and it kind of blew my mind because I had never realized that beer could taste the way their beers tasted. You know, in my mind, I I just kind of thought that everything was kind of a fizzy light lager and I, it kind of opened my whole world into the realm of like other possibilities to what beer could be. Uh, so, and the fact that it was free, you know, it was pretty great. So we go there every Friday and, The more we heard uh, this guy, Byron, talk just about the process, the more interested I became. And then it got me into the world of homebrewing, and it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, And that beer became basically an obsession to the point where it still is today. Um, But I started to homebrew a lot. I homebrewed for about, I don't know, three, four years. And then... I uh, listened to a bunch of brewing podcasts. You guys weren't around back then, but uh, uh, Bruce Strong was around back then. I think they're still around now. I just kind of they are. fell out of listening to them. Um, but they, they were great. I listened to them all the time. Um, and uh, then my girlfriend and wife now convinced me to quit my job because I was miserable. I was a data analyst at a business-to-business telemarketing company, which I'm sure sounds super interesting. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I, I can hardly <laughs> really wait to do that.
3: <laughs> so, you know, I love doing that and all. But, um, but yeah, so I started to look into potential brewing jobs. I posted my application on this website, Pro Brewer. Uh, and Allegash just so happened to be hiring around then. Um, so I went up for for an interview and the way we interviewed back then and actually still interview to this day is an extremely thorough process. I came in for, I think at least three interviews. Um, wow. And it was, well, maybe it was a little less thorough back then in that the, the process was more just, you went to hang out with someone who was actually working at the time. And then you just kind of shut up the- and uh, just had a conversation so I went in, I remember, cause I, I went to this grocery store parking lot, cause I like showed up way too early, and I was like reviewing all of my like brewing notes, cause I thought like Jason was gonna ask me all these crazy brewing related questions, and I went in, and I'm just like, so how you doing man? I was like, oh wow, this is really relaxed here. <laughs> and uh, it kinda still has that same vibe here now, and it's, it's awesome. And I've been here about nine years now. And that's a pretty amazing place to work. I'm extremely lucky to be doing what I love to do, and especially doing it at a place like this.
0: Man, at nine years, that's uh, that's quite a while in this industry. So it must be a really cool place to work.
3: Yeah, this place is awesome. I always tell people, regardless of this being a brewery and like, brewing beer is awesome, just as a company in general, this is probably the best company I will ever work for in my life. The people that work here are truly, like, family. The owner, Rob Todd, he, like, literally could not care more about his, like, the people that work here, his workforce. You know, it's it's an amazing place to be. I love my job.
1: <laughs> well, now, and speaking of your job, specifically, your title is a R&D brewer, right?
3: Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's R&D. There's a slash in there. R and D slash technical brewer is like I guess what it is.
1: So um, the w- yeah, I was gonna say, what is r and D slash technical brewer? What do you do?
3: It's a great question. <laughs> we kind of just made it up. <laughs> um, so the I guess the the R and D aspect um, involves me leading our pilot team here. Um, so it's a team of I think up to ten people. And uh, that team basically uh, helps create all of the recipes for the majority of the new beers that we're making. Uh, and just to touch on that a little bit, too, our pilot program is unique in the sense that the ideas that we, we brew literally come from everyone in the company. So we have a, a process where someone could submit their idea, it comes to us. Uh, totally blind to the person who submitted it we vote on it as a group and then if it's denied or accepted uh or i guess if it's accepted then we'll we'll kind of reveal who submitted it and like reach out to them and start working with them on on their idea and they can have as little knowledge of the brewing process and how to put together a recipe or they can know exactly what they want to do you know it's both sides of the spectrum um but we've We basically made a lot of our ideas have come from people like all throughout the company, which is unique, uh, especially for a brewery our size, you know. Uh, uh, So that is part of the the R&D side. Uh, We've started also to to incorporate actual like more uh, research and development into that program in terms of um, discovering new hops or uh, yeast or grain that we haven't worked with in a while or ever. Um, at a point in time, we're kind of uh, stuck in our little bubble of, you know, we have this sort of inventory for uh, grain hops and yeast, and anytime we get a new idea, and we kind of just pull from that, like, small world of ingredients, where, you know, they're year by year, there are new hops out there, there are new grains being um, malted, or uh, not new grains, but new varieties of grains. Um, so we, we kind of... We're trying to step outside of that that little bubble of ours and um, and learn more about uh, all the other ingredients that we could potentially use, like in our tool tool belt, uh, to to make these new ideas come to life.
1: That sounds like a perfect segue into the beer that we have that you guys yeah, have created. So tell people about sure. Crosspath.
3: Uh, so Crosspath is a collaboration between ourselves and Grandiose. Um, We don't do many collaborations, especially with companies that aren't, uh, don't like also make beer. Uh, But this one just seemed to fit, just given uh, their kind of ethos and uh, how they go about uh, themselves as as a company, that they aligned with the same values as ours. It also happened to be their 40th anniversary, and it was our 25th anniversary. Uh, and we also uh, kind of wanted to get into the realm of um, uh, brewing an organic beer. We had always talked about it, uh, and it, this just felt like the perfect opportunity to, to do just that. Um, so we came together, uh, and we kind of batted around a number of potential ideas in terms of the beer style. Uh, we decided to go with um, more of like a, a blonde or golden ale. And, uh, we incorporated not only organic ingredients, but organic ingredients that were specifically grown in Maine. Um so there's Maine grown, uh, and processed, uh, Pilton malts, there's Maine grown buckwheats, Maine grown oats, and then, uh, we have, well, we figured with Grandi Oats being who they are, I mean, we have to put Granola you know, in the beer, so. Uh we put about five percent of their uh, granola into the brewer as well. And um and yeah, and then we fermented with uh Westmall strain. Oh and for hops with uh, there's there are a couple of hop farms in the state of Maine. Um one in particular uh grows a certain amount of hops organically mm-hmm. and they're up in Aroostook County. Uh so we use their um their hops in this beer and I think it turned out pretty nicely. So did you decide first that you wanted to make
0: the Belgian golden ale or did you start with the ingredients and go, what can we make out of
3: this? Um, it was more I, – I guess it was a little bit of both um, because if we wanted to make a beer uh, organic, there's, you know, not every uh, – every normal brewing ingredient can be found or is grown organically. Um, so that was like one aspect of it. But I guess the the whole concept of doing like a blonde or a golden ale, uh, I guess that came about first. And then um, we looked for certain ingredients that would kind of um, fit the realm of that particular style.
0: Right, right. So, what what were the challenges in making this beer?
3: Um, <laughs> there were there are some. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I heard that I guess, coming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like I said uh, earlier, so it's not just about the organic ingredients. We need uh, certification from MAFCA, so it's MAFCA is a certifying body in the state of Maine uh, for uh, organic production um, for uh, things of this nature. So MAFCA stands for the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Uh, and um, we not only have to brew with organic ingredients, but we have to ensure that our processes for all of our non-organic ingredients are, um, have certain purge procedures, uh, when going from a non-organic to an organic. Um, so not only do we have to put a pretty substantial delay in our brew house in order to brew something organically because, you know, everything really needs to be flushed out with an organic grain prior to introducing organic grain into our milling system. Uh, there's that aspect as well as each vessel needs to be clean to a certain extent. In order for it to be a certified organic process so that uh, there are no residual soils left over from uh, the batch that was before it Uh, and that's just the brew house the same kind of goes for uh, fermentation and processing in the cellars as well as packaging for bottling and and the kegger Um, so there there are a number of things just outside of the ingredients for the beer that's uh, needed to be buttoned up. And yeast propagation is another big one, too. Uh, if our lab manager was on right now, I'm sure he would tell you all about the the difficulties it is to uh, have a written procedure in order to do an organic yeast propagation. So uh, there's a lot. We learned a lot. But now we are at a point where um, if we wanted to do more organic beers in the future, and like who knows, I, I think we're down to do more. Uh, We now have, like, you know, the the first uh, step into, like, a new area is always going to be pretty challenging to get through it. But, like, once you're through it, then you have a good sense of how to go about it for the next one. So uh, I'm sure after the next organic beer that we do, we'll learn even more, and then we'll only, like, improve after that.
0: Right. And what size is your brewing system that you had to all clean out?
3: Uh, so I'll go from tiny to big. Um, our pilot system is 15 gallons. Um, we have a 30 barrel system, which was the original system um, prior to, or basically uh, when when Raptop started the brewery, uh, and then our 70 barrel system. That's our, our what we consider a big system. So it's a 70 barrel Raptop brew house.
1: Right. I love right. the fact that the pilot system is still homebrewed size because the way that you describe the job of being an R and D brewer, all right, that feels very much like, hey, I still get to be a home brewer. Oh
3: yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just brewed a batch this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you do a pilot batch for
0: this beer, or did you just throw it into the big system?
3: Um, that would be pretty crazy if we just scaled it up right away. No, we're pretty thorough with uh, all of our new beers nowadays where uh, not only will we do one, we'll do a number of pilot batches on our pilot system uh, before we even go about um, scaling it up. Wow, and man. That's that's this really point cool. At time, we're doing not only uh, pilot brews and getting that pilot dialed in, but then we'll do what we call an R&D batch on our 30-barrel brew house uh, just to make sure that the recipe is just to make sure, like you know, the scaling of fifteen to thirty barrels, fifteen gallons of thirty barrels, um, uh, was um, was good. Like there are no issues uh, from going from one to the other. Uh, so we do that just as like a, a double check, and we don't do that for all the beers that we scale up. But for um, a beer like Crosspath, where you know we're brewing a fair amount of it, we want to ensure that it is the best possible. Batch of beer that we could make uh, before scaling up to the big brewer. So it's a, it's a thorough, rigorous process.
0: So you had to actually purge all three systems, then.
3: Uh, well, so um, we weren't getting organic certification for the, those other two. Oh sure. Uh, we weren't packaging them. They were. They were all for like research and development. So, it's, so <laughs> research and development. Meaning into- we're gonna drink it here yeah yeah <laughs> so we didn't uh so I think we did pour a portion of um of one of them uh, but we didn't say that it was organic um, by any means so we only got the certification on the ones that we we put in cans and kegged, so the batch that you drank the other day right
0: so what percentage of buckwheat is in this and and what do you feel like buckwheat brings to the beer?
3: That's a great question. <laughs> Um, so luckily, it was 10% of the overall, um, grift. And it's hard to say for sure exactly, uh, what it brings. Um, it's like it, it, in a beer like this particularly, um, where a lot of the flavor and aroma is coming from the, the ester profile of fermentation, um, any subtlety like a buckwheat addition might kind of get lost in that realm. Um, so uh, we say that we're um, – so we make Belgian-inspired beers. Uh, Jason likes to say that we're a yeast-forward brewery. So we rely more so on fermentation and, like, the certain characteristics that we'll get uh, from the yeast and fermentation for the majority of the beers that we make. Um so I guess I'm not really answering your question because I'm dancing or addicts. <laughs> well, I guess you're um,
0: answering by not answering.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess if anything, um, it adds a certain body, uh, potentially, <laughs> um, that if we didn't use it, it, it might be, be lacking in that area. Um, I guess that's all I have to say. Yeah, that. right. Um, and uh, I, Buckwheat's I, a weird one because it's not even really wheat. Yeah,
1: yeah it's right. a pseudo cereal. Yeah. This so, is this is actually the second episode in a row to feature buckwheat in some way, shape, or form. So <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we're in a buckwheat mood. Oh, really?
3: All right. So I, I have a question. Did you, wait, did you ask the uh, the same questions as your past episode?
1: Well, the, the other episode was all about gluten-free brewing, where they do a lot of things to make it, I guess, not taste like buckwheat. <laughs> oh,
3: okay.
0: <laughs> you know, and I, I have a question of personal interest, because I use the West Mall Strain a lot. What temperature do you guys run it at?
3: Well, uh, in doing those pilots, uh, we actually kept going higher and higher after each one, uh, to the point where we rested on... Um, we would chill to seventy degrees, and then we fermented at seventy-five for this beer. Wow, wow, that's very so interesting. We kept kind of inching it up. I think the original pilot fermented at seventy, and then it was seventy-two for when we scaled it up to the thirty-barrel brew house, and then we went to seventy-five for for the seventy-barrel.
1: Well, right. and th- these are in those big fermenters, so you're dealing with uh, ester suppression because of pressure in the tanks, right?
3: Oh, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah so if, it's, we did, um, I think, I think we filled our biggest fermenter, which is a 540-barrel fermenter, so most definitely. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, so just for as a note for our homebrew listeners, yeah, you'll hear them say 75, but you have to remember, for us, we have to run a little bit lower just because our beers don't have the same sort of uh, hydrostatic pressure on top of them, so the yeast are going to produce more esters the warmer they go.
0: Yeah, right. right. A, 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 another difference between commercial
1: and home brewing. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, you do your best to scale it up from the pilot scale, but, you know, there there are variables like that that, uh, in my opinion, it, it always makes for a better beer uh, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe just because when we finally get to the point of brewing that big batch, I'm just uh, happy to have finally, like, got it to that point. Um, or it's just Uh, the, you know, those certain dynamics that are involved in like a larger scale fermentation. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, well, I think it's very cool that you guys have that that. dedication to, you know, working it through a cycle. That's actually, I don't see that a lot with breweries. So that's very cool Uh, to see.
3: Oh, yeah. There, I mean, we, there's a lot of work involved in our pilot program. We have right now 12 pilot fermenters and they're all full and, you know, it's constant rotation, constant rebrewing certain beers that we're into, um, like dialing in recipes.
0: That's kind of what I do in my home brewing is uh come up with, you know, I I go through a lot of test batches, but I don't see many commercial breweries doing that, so kudos to
1: you guys.
3: Yeah, thank you.
1: Well, uh, I do have one question. Uh has there ever been a beer that you piloted that you didn't get the chance to take up that you wanted to?
3: Oh, man. Um huh. Well, nothing comes to mind immediately. Normally, it, normally if a beer is good, we can find a place to, to put it in our rotation for the following year. Uh, and by good, I mean, like, well-received by everyone and everyone that's really into it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, there are some that just are painstakingly slow through the process, like the Pilsner that we brewed. So we do a Pilsner um, that um, we add a, a small portion of, um, of Brettanomyces fermented beer to it. Uh, that one, the first pilot of that beer, I think was four years ago. And it wasn't until last year that we we actually made it. <laughs> um, so there are, I guess, there are beers like that. I guess that beer in particular, that one was that 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 beer was one that almost got away, but it kept kind of coming back and changing a bit here and there to the point where uh, we were able to to brew it on the, on the big scale. That's great. But yeah, Um, that really comes to mind. Mostly we could, we, so not every beer that we brew in a particular year is packaged in cans. We do a bunch of draft only um, beers and uh, this year alone we were planning on doing, I think, uh, I don't know, eight or ten beers just dropped only. So generally for those beers, it's just one batch on our 30-barrel brew house. And we kind of use those batches as a gauge for if they're well-received, then maybe we'll make more of it the following year. So um, there isn't uh, an exact method for how we decide to make uh, certain amounts of beer, but it typically goes from pilot to 30-barrel batch and 30-barrel batch to more than that if it's you know if it's if it's really good and if it sells well so kind of all depends
1: well that's great I, I, I'm a research and development engineer at heart so I'd love to see the process working uh, one final yeah. question before we uh, l- let you go and get back to the world of beer sure. um, what do you think are going to be the next steps that you guys are going to take for doing sort of these organic and local beers?
3: Uh, so let me touch on the local first, uh, if you don't mind. Um, oh, go for it. We, we actually have an initiative that we started four years ago now to, by the end of 2021, use uh, 1 million pounds of main-grown and processed grain. Um, so that would mean it would be, I think that year, we would be up to 8 million pounds in total. So 1 million of that would be from the state of Maine and process in the state of Maine. Um, we had to kind of announce that initiative uh years ago just to give farmers enough time to build the infrastructure needed to, you know, supply us with that amount of grain and we also needed to give ourselves enough time to start incorporating uh local grain into our core beers just to ensure that uh you know, brewing white beer with local oats doesn't change the flavor profile from the, the normal oats that we had used before. Something like an ingredient change like that, uh, typically, I guess, kind of using that pilot analogy where it could be painstakingly slow to go from pilot to big scale, we're, we're painstakingly slow at making any sorts of changes in any of our beers, which is great uh, because we want to make sure that uh, – White beer with the oats that we used before tastes the same as white beer with the local oats that we're going to be using. Um, and that's like a – it could be up to like a three-month process just to kind of get that ingredient validated. Um, well, it would so, be really sad if yeah. the
1: Allagash White didn't taste like Allagash White anymore.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we need to make sure that the, the beer stays what we call like true to type. Uh, and in terms of organic beers, uh, we have a number of organic, uh, beers currently kind of on, uh, within our, like, uh, pilot program. Um, so, you know, the, we are definitely looking to, uh, to brewing more organic beers in the future. Uh, I wouldn't say that we have one particularly, particularly in mind right now for, for next year, but, um but I mean, we're we're talking about it more, uh, and the one that we did that I'm drinking right now is tasting good. So you know, uh, it just seems like it's more likely than not that we'll we'll be brewing some organic beers in the future.
0: Awesome. Wow, great well, man! Hopefully, we can get our hands on some of those out here too.
3: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely in California. For yeah, sure. well, that's okay.
0: <laughs> Drew knows how to ship beer to me, so mostly he just, he just doesn't do it very often so uh we've been talking today to patrick chavanel the r&d slash technical brewer for allagash in maine and uh in just a minute here when we let him get back to work drew and i are going to be tasting the beer and letting you guys know what you're missing but patrick thank you so much for taking the time to join us today
3: yeah thank you guys i really appreciate it
0: cool well if you ever get out here on the left coast
1: uh, give us a shout and we'll show you around
3: sure we'll do no problem
1: All right, man. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, I thought that was a really fun talk. I mean, I like whenever people can focus on bringing sort of interesting local products to bear and bringing a local idea to bear. I love that whole actual R&D piloting build-up process that they've got going so that they know everything works. I mean, to me, that's really rad. Allagash Allagash is one of my favorite breweries in the U.S., and I don't think I've had... Anything from them that I can remember, at least off the top of my head, that was disappointing. Maybe not to my taste, but not disappointing. Which brings us to the other reason that we have come back out of that interview. We have something not disappointing to taste. Yes, indeedy, boy. I'm going to reach over here and grab mine. Yeah, so these are... uh, uh, Allagash very kindly sent us a, a couple of cans of their Cross Path, the beer that we were just talking about with Patrick. And let's get to tasting, shall we? Ah, here I love we that go. sound.
0: You guys getting thirsty out there? I'm getting thirsty and I'm sitting here with a glass in my hand. Okay, so we'll tell you a bit about this beer. This is uh, an all organic beer, and on the back of the label it says, We teamed up with Grandy Oats to create this Belgian style certified organic golden ale brewed with buckwheat and granola. From Maine, we sourced organic oats, buckwheat, and barley. Grandi Oats Granola added the finishing touch—well-rounded, refreshing, and organic. And you heard Patrick talk a little bit about this beer and the yeast that they used and everything. So, I guess it's time to uh, to do a tasting here now, huh?
1: Oh, you, you weren't—I I was already drinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm doing the sniff here first.
1: <laughs> uh. There's that uh, Westmall the yeast. To, I, I was going to say, yeah, the, the Westmall yeast is what jumps out immediately out of this. I mean, I, I love
0: West Mall. I mean, their triple is one of my favorite beers in the whole world. That might even be my desert island beer, but don't hold me to that. But, uh, so let's let's take a sip now, huh?
1: Absolutely. <sighs>
0: The first thing I get is the phenolics. Um, I'm, I'm getting some grain, but it doesn't really come across as graininess, you know. I, I I'm not seeing like that the, the oats are like doing anything like you normally expect oats to do or anything like that. There's maybe a a touch of funkiness from the the buckwheat. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I know I know that Patrick couldn't really put a finger on it, but that's what I always get from buckwheat. So hopefully it's not buckwheat confirmation bias. Oil.
1: Yeah, I mean, Buckwheat to me always has a an, an earthy floweriness to it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and I'm wondering if that isn't playing off of the oats. And I do get, I think, some of the, the top notes. I think there are like some toasted oat notes. Yeah, kind of like that granola. Yeah, I, I think, I think that you're right.
0: When, as soon as you said top notes, I started looking for that. And yeah, I think that maybe I can see something from the granola in there. And it's hard to say, just like it was hard for Patrick to say just what the buckwheat was doing. But man, when I tried this beer originally, my first thought was, why can't we get more Allagash beer here in Oregon? (laughs) <laughs> as you as you heard Patrick explain, they have kind of an unusual distribution area, but I I t- I gotta tell you guys, if you are anywhere you can get this beer, please give it a try. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It is a really really gorgeous blend of the Belgian yeast with the uh, the all the
1: organic grains from around there. Um, delicious beer. Well, the things I'm noticing, so for years, I think when organic beers first launched, they all left something, I think, a little to be desired. There was maybe something about the quality of the ingredients or or something that just, they they, they usually felt more grainy and less focused and less, you know, clean tasting.
0: It it almost seemed like the idea was more to be organic than to really make a great beer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in this particular case, I mean, This is a great beer. I mean, (laughs) this is a
0: great beer.
1: I mean, this is, uh, this is a very sort of happy place sitting in the backyard type of beer. Um, actually, in a lot of ways, what it reminds me of is it reminds me of that same notion that I, that I do with my table saisons. You know, so I don't, I'm not doing a table saison down at like 3%, I'm doing a table saison more at like five, five and a half which makes for these wonderfully spicy beers that are rich with all the Belgian phenolics. So you get a lot of cinnamon, a lot of clove, a lot of nutmeg. But you also get a very dry, crisp finish, and you get something that you can drink multiple pints of. And this really falls into it. And I like the fact that they not only had a great story to build into it and a great idea, but they also executed and came up with a great beer. So many times I think you get these beers that... Uh people come up with a great story for, and the story's great, but the rest of the beer experience is yeah
0: it just doesn't live up to the story a lot of times, you know uh it's almost like the the concept was the whole thing, and the beer was kind of secondary. this one, man, the, the concept and the beer really, really live up to the promise well, and I love just how fluffy a head this thing throws. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I I don't know if that's from the oats or not, man. Uh you know, but whatever it is, it, it's gorgeous, it's Belgian. Uh Patrick has convinced me to start maybe trying to f- ferment the West Mall yeast a little bit warmer than I normally do, although Drew had a good point about how they uh they ferment under pressure, which suppresses esters. But yeah. I think you know, I think I may play around with it a little bit. I, I don't yeah, like well. I don't like real estuary Belgians. I
1: prefer the phenolics, but you never know until you try, right? Indeed. And again, if you guys can find it, if you're somewhere in Allagash's uh, you know, distribution range, definitely uh, give this one a shot if you get a chance at it. Because again, I think it's just, it's a good daily drinker type of beer. Uh, I will also put a shout out there for the beer I mentioned in the interview with him, that Allegash Curio. It is still one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, and I've I've never even seen that. But like I said, we don't get
1: Allagash here. So this was a okay. real treat, and I guess you're going to have to send me some, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, assuming I can never go to the liquor store again. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Allagash Curio, for those of you who don't know, is their triple that's aged in bourbon barrels. Wow, that
0: would that would be great, man. Uh, I, I had a Duval that was aged in a scotch barrel when I was in uh, – in Belgium but uh you know a triple aged in a whiskey barrel could be really really
1: stunning. Yeah, it is. So there we go. That's the beer. Like we said, we really encourage you guys to, you know, give it a try. If you guys know of any breweries in your areas there doing some interesting beers like this or beers with a good story that do actually follow through, let us know because I think it's always fun for us to be able to talk to the brewers behind them, and then also to get a chance to taste the beer. You'll notice that we taste the beer away from the people involved, <laughs> just in
0: case. <laughs> yeah, but this one we could have done with them because we didn't have anything bad to say about it. Mm-mm. No, it's, uh, this one's a real treat. Yeah. So yeah. there you
1: go, Allagash Cross Path. Go find it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that you'll really enjoy that beer. I sure did. So uh, we're going to take a break here, and we're going to be back for our last segment with some questions and answers, a quick tip, and something other before we get out of here. Stick around. We're going to be right back. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publishing books of enduring value for amateur and professional brewers, as well as titles that promote understanding and appreciation of American craft beer. Visit BrewersPublications.com to learn more. Hey, welcome back. It's time to wrap things up and get out of here. And we're going to start with some questions and
1: answers. All right. So our first question comes from uh, Dan Roth, who wrote in. He says, Hi, guys. I really like the It's Just About Time song. Sorry, not sorry, Drew. Yeah, you're sorry. With everything shutting down due to COVID-19, I'm learning how to play the ukulele to pass the time. Hooray! Uh, Hooray! Have you posted the chords for this song anywhere? And if not, could you cheers, Dan? Denny? Well, Dan,
0: it is dead simple. It is simply G and D seventh. If it was any more complicated than that, I probably wouldn't be able to play it anyway. So for all you aspiring ukulele players out there, that's it right there. It's a G and a D seventh. Two easy chords to play and there's only two of them. So... Uh, hopefully someday we can all get together and drive drew crazy with a huge concert of the just about time song. I'm,
1: I'm fine with the song. It's the ukulele part. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, I like the ukulele to me. The worst part is me singing, but, uh, I, I like the ukulele. Well, for some reason I find it amusing. So our next question comes from, well, from Sweden. And I'm guessing that his goals have changed in the last two weeks. Uh, <laughs> This is from uh, Andreas Hermansson from uh, Sweden. He says, I'm planning on going to a couple of music festivals this summer in an RV. I'm guessing you're not. So as not to have to lug around a load of bottles for my homebrew, I recently bought a few mini slash party kegs. There seems to be some differing information out there about how one should go about priming them for carbonation, though. Some people say go two thirds of the priming sugar per volume unit as you do in bottles. Uh, others say use the same amount as bottles and others are more conservative going for even half as much. It seems the most common problem people have with the kegs are overly foaming beer. To me, that sounds like the beer is either overcarved or too warm, which kind of makes it overcarved as well. So I'd guess a lower amount of priming sugar might be needed. What's your idea on this? I can't remember if you've talked about priming with sugar in kegs before or not. Denny, you got thoughts?
0: Well, I have thoughts, but I don't have any experience to pass along. Uh, All I can tell you, Andreas, is I normally hear two-thirds the amount although I have heard really good arguments made for other amounts too. So, I mean, have you tried this?
1: Um, Did it come out over carbonated? I think this is going to be one of those things. that's going to kind of have to be trial and error. Well, I think there's a couple things going on here. Two thirds is the most common uh, recommendation. So two thirds, whatever it is you would use for a similar volume uh, as if you're going to bottles. Uh, People like to argue that when you're aging in bulk, you know, you don't need as much drive. Um, now, the problem is just like Denny, I don't have a lot of experience with mini kegs because by the time I came into the hobby, mini kegs were sort of poo-pooed on here in the U.S. Uh, so I, I'm guessing that part of the problem that you're saying is you're right. People are probably serving the beer too warm because you're in a field situation, and that does mean that you have more outgassed CO2 to begin with. And also, let's face it, if you got these kegs in an RV, they're being shook up everywhere the whole time that you're moving around so i suspect that's another problem there well and that that and that
0: also leads to another problem too which means that all the
1: sediment from priming gets shaken back into the beer absolutely and i I haven't seen anybody come up with a solution for force carving uh kegs that is simple or force carving mini kegs that is both simple and you know works pretty well i have Okay. Good. Uh, what do you got? Uh, Pico Brew, when they send out their Pico
0: units, That's you true. know, the small ones, comes with mini kegs and this cool little regulator that a CO2 cartridge screws into. And I've seen those regulators in the past at Northern Brewer and a couple other homebrew supply shops. And I actually have tried force carbonating a mini keg and It was tricky, took a couple of them to get the levels right, but it can be done.
1: Yeah, and those are those big CO2 cartridges, not the little ones.
0: No, they're the Um, 16-gram.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, Now, the other thing I would say is, since you and I don't have a lot of experience with this, uh, at least the priming side of it, I think this is one of those things where, hey, I know everybody's sitting there bored. So some of you listeners, probably potentially a lot of you who are overseas – have had more experience with mini kegs than either of us have. What's your thoughts? Yeah, let's let crowd, let's
0: crowdsource this. If you guys have done this and you have any information and advice for Andreas,
1: let us know and we'll pass it along to him. Yep, send us the information at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message anywhere that you see us normally talking. We'll make sure that we get it into the mix because – I like crowd knowledge. Yeah, really. Well,
0: experience is golden, and we don't have it, so I guess we're led. <laughs> so send us your experiences if you've tried priming mini kegs, even a regular corny. Let us know what worked for you, and uh, we'll talk about it and see if we can come up with some
1: good advice for Andreas. And now, of course, it's time for us to give you a quick tip, something other than beer. And I guarantee you, you guys are going to like the something other than beer because it's very soothing this uh, this week. Now, the quick tip is I'm going to tell you, be careful if you're a dummy like me who ferments in kegs, or actually if you ferment in any sort of pressure vessel. Why are you saying that, Drew? Well, here's why. I was fermenting earlier in this year a version of my um DuPont Vec- Vecla bambou clone, right? I call it Triple Wishes because it's kind of based on one of my triple recipes that I then turn into a Saison recipe. And... Um, I had it in my keg, my 10 gallon corny keg, and for whatever reason, it stalled, you know, not, not the classic Saison DuPont stall, but it actually stalled up a little bit uh, lower, like about 1020. And the only thing I could think was we had a cold snap, right? So we had a cold snap in, in LA and the beer stopped fermenting. So I was starting to transfer it out of my keg and I went, Oh no, that's way too sweet and stopped the transfer and made sure everything was still there because I tasted a sample first. And I put it back to fermenting, shook it back up and you know, made sure it stayed someplace warm. And I had the, the PRV pulled so that the gas was coming out. You know. And about a week later I came back and said, okay, this is this is probably done. I'm gonna close the PRV and I'll let it sit for an hour or two and check the PRV, see if any more CO two is built up. Came back a couple hours later. No no pressure was gassed out when I pulled the CRV, so I was like, okay, good fermentation's done, I'm going to let this sit. And I let it sit for a little while because I got busy doing other things. When I went to go transfer beers the other day, I went, oh, I got to make sure I transfer this uh, Triple Wishes because that needs to go into the keg so I can have some, you know, Saison DuPont avec avec le bambou on tap, right? Um, Yeah. I put a tap line on it just so I could take a sample. The pressure had built up so high in that keg that something that has never happened to me before happened to me. I put the tap line on, and the pressure blew the Cobra tap open. Oh, man, really? I, I thought something along that line was going to happen, but I didn't see that. Yeah. Now, it didn't flip the lever. It actually had enough pressure behind it that I think what it was doing was pushing all that rubber that gets moved by the lever. Right. And creating a creating a path out the hose. So... I've spent the last three days steadily degassing the keg. And now I think I've got it down to a reasonable point. And I'm going to transfer uh, after we're done talking here. So, remember, if you're in a pressure vessel with beer that could possibly still be fermenting, be a little more cautious than this dummy.
0: Yeah, I think that this is another great example of
1: just because we've brewed a lot doesn't mean we don't screw up too. Oh, no, I screw up all the time. It's just (laughs) the nature of the world. I mean, look, to air is is human, to R is pirate. (laughs) Ooh. I remember talking about
0: this with Jamil the first time I met him, and uh, we were sitting in a bar having beers, and basically what we said was that people think that we're great brewers because we never talk about our screw-ups. We only talk about what works. And although we don't, we didn't do that intentionally, I, I think that that's true. So let me just assure you, Drew and
1: I easily screw up as much as any other homebrewer out there. Yeah, and I do think it's a, a learning experience whenever you screw up. That is one thing I've learned over the years of being an engineer. Right. So uh, learn from that lesson. Be careful. Yeah. I'm just glad that the – that is the first time I have ever seen a Cobra Tap do that, which was absolutely stunning. So wow. fun. Wow. Now – Something other than beer, I promised you guys something soothing. So I'm actually going to give you two things that are soothing. One from a listener, one from me. Uh, Artist, musician, all around semi demigodlike figure, David Byrne, um, has a website out there called reasons to be cheerful dot world. And if you go to the website, and we'll include a link in the show notes, it is a constantly updated blog of various stories that are are positive news stories right so you know talking about things like you know these are good stories about what's happening with the coronavirus here is uh there's one here a a bomb to heal strip mine mountaintops right yeah it, it is it is full of things where it is just trying to remind you that there is a lot of good out there in the world and there are a lot of reasons to be well happy that you remember the human race so that's reasons to be cheerful. World. I guarantee you can go dig in there, and you can actually learn some really good stuff that should hopefully help your attitude. And then also in that same sort of soothing measure, I had a recommendation coming from listener Clayton Little, and Clayton recommended a YouTube channel and a of a Vietnamese woman. I think I think her name is Lizzie Q or Liz, Lizzie Key. Uh, we'll include a link to that as well. And she is a Vietnamese woman. I saw the the video he sent me last year, and I totally forgot to talk about it. But she's a Vietnamese woman who posts these very well-made, very soothing videos of making things from scratch. And so the one that got passed around in the beer community, obviously, was her making beer, uh, a a wheat beer, actually, uh, starting from her harvesting the wheat out of her fields, threshing it, malting it slightly, drying it in the sun, getting it turned into flour, yada, 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 and, and making a beer out of it at the end of the day to enjoy. Uh, these are some really fantastic videos. Clayton recommended turning on the closed captions on YouTube. I agree with this one on, on this channel. And the other thing I also want to say is, as uh, somebody who's been playing around my garden a lot this year, I, I really want her garden because it's so beautiful. <laughs> you ought to come up and see Paula's garden. There you go. And I mean, it, look, seriously, go watch the, one of these videos. You'll be like, Oh, wow. So there you go. That, that's two things that I think should help you to be uh, cheerful right now. Uh, go enjoy those while you're enjoying a beer and have fun.
0: Okay. Moving on. Thank you all for listening to experimental brewing. We're really happy. You joined us and we're happy that uh, we can be here to bring you the show. Catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at expbrewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We both hang out a lot on Facebook. I'm on a lot of different beer forums out there, mainly the AHA discussion forum. And Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrew channel. And if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, you can always email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can always leave us a voicemail or send us a text at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.